This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Follow me at your own risk, jamartisby.substack.com. It's all good, brother. I am I am expecting about this conversation. No, but before we get to this, we have been having a conversation <laughs> off camera, off mic, about what was the special that most Def was ordering in Alicia Keys, You Don't These Know My are Name. The questions. What's the special with the hot chocolate? With the hot chocolate at lunch. Good afternoon. Can I take your order? Yes, ma'am. Um, special. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, the hot chocolate. So. Hot chocolate. Yes. What's the? He came. He comes in on his lunch break. Now it is an assumption I was making that this is a lunch break during the day. Okay. So it could be like a graveyard shift lunch break or I something like that. I feel like it's during the day. It's during the day though. I feel like it. But but I just want to know what's the, the special day. with the hot what's what you getting with hot chocolate on your lunch break? Yeah, really. Like because lunch what could the special like, be? Are you are you eating like grilled cheese and hot chocolate? That seems weird Bro, to me. Bro, that's disgusting. Is the special a dessert? Is it like apple pie? I, I anything with hot chocolate doesn't seem it doesn't feel right to me. It don't feel right in the if it's in the middle of the day. And it's I've been plagued by this. Maybe there are people who is actually it fried talk about chicken this. and hot chocolate. Please don't say that. Please, that is so disgusting. <laughs> you said fish. What's the nasty? Yeah, but <laughs> I'm saying, bro. What's the nasty? I'm hot saying, chocolate. bro. I feel like fried chicken is nastier because it's like greasy. <laughs> <laughs> but fish is fish. Like, how can you mix fish, fish and hot chocolate? If you got like a grilled fish situation no, and it's seasoned right working. with lemon, you not might working. cut it. Nope. Nope, nope. There's no, there's no, no good permutation of this. If it's salty at all, there's no good permutation. Uh, it's got to be a dessert. I don't know. That really makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> Somebody is really, somebody's really drinking hot chocolate with a special. Sister Alicia, we gotta know. Look. Would you just tune in for this one episode and let us know what's the what special? Was the special? With Somebody's got to have some. I know in all of YouTube, somebody has a video out. Somebody knows what, what the, the special, special was. I need to know. Let us know. Decade, two decades after. Anyway, but man, I just that we just had to, <laughs> <laughs> that's been plaguing me. It wouldn't feel right if I moved on from that. <laughs> I had to express was, that to you. Still on the brain. Okay. <laughs> it's just it's just stuff. You know, black black people. We have our things. Like we just have our things. So what is? This it? is a music video. You can see the plate. She's bringing it to him. What's what on is the plate? It? All right. Looks like burger Oh no! No, okay, okay. We just had we just have so word from the studio. We just had an interruption in the podcast <laughs> that this man, according to the video, was eating burger and fries with the with hot, the hot chocolate. chocolate. 
Bruh. Cheeseburger? Like, is this turkey burger? Is it an impossible burger? Maybe he gets like like water with the meal. But is it most that vegan? Chocolate is a dessert. Is it most that vegan? Was he back in like 97 when this came out? Whenever it was out. Maybe that's maybe that's why she mentions it in the phone call. It's like, I remember you get the special with hot chocolate. But why would you date somebody who has like questionable digestive like like that's not Sorry, all right. It looks like fish. I'm sorry, we're going back. No. No, no. The burger and hot fries with somebody else. She brings in, we got greens, sweet potatoes, and what appears to be fried fish. No. I told y'all. What did I tell y'all? What did I tell y'all? PTM, what Where did I tell are y'all? They in New York City? Fried fish. I told y'all I thought it was fried fish. Is this? Oh, no. Nah, that's That looks like catfish, bro. That's yeah, catfish. That. That's got to be catfish. Can I take your order? Or like yams or yeah. something. Special, right? Yo, okay. so okay, so, so we, we just, just got visual, we just got visual, <laughs> visual confirmation. <laughs> this man eating fried fish with some yams. It looks looks like yams and something green, and some greens or something green. Whatever is not gonna sit right with his stomach at this, lunch with the. This mug. is during the day, right? This is during the day. And with hot chocolate. Right in front of him. Because I was going to say, maybe he ate all that and then get hot chocolate was a dessert, you know, like a milkshake. But no. That's a wild boy, man. (laughs) Isn't he vegan now? Maybe that's what did it. (laughs) That's what did it. I can't do the special with hot chocolate no more. I'm only eating vegetables now. Oh, man. Oh man, nah, that I had huh. look, that blessed my soul. Mystery man. solved. <laughs> that blessed my soul, man. Oh, I'm weak. Oh man. Okay. I gotta bring it back together because we gotta talk about something serious, man. And it's so funny we're talking about restraint. <laughs> I need y'all to restrain your food choices. It's a podcast okay? on restraint. We look, begin man. with uh col- questionable culinary choices. So it's so funny, Jay, I was scrolling on Facebook and then I saw this very popular black worship leader who I actually like. I just want to make a disclaimer. I like this worship leader. I think he's very gifted, very talented and um, very anointed as well. And he's become extremely popular over the last couple of years. And he talked about restraint. He said, there's so much of creativity that is actually restraint and not showing everything that you know or not showing everything that you are. And so he makes a statement, the bigger the audience, the more restraint you need to have. I'm wondering what he means by restraint. So he goes on to say, people think I'm not black or Pentecostal uh, because I don't incorporate that into my music. Or he says, well, we do, but you have to look for it. He says, people just don't understand. I'll be around my house and I'll be, you know, hooping like I'm, you know, in front of people or singing in a quartet or something like that. And um, he says that, Many of us, and I'm assuming it means us, mean us. I didn't, there was still like to be okay. clarified. <laughs> uh, okay. But, you know, yeah, so many of us, uh, he says, have fumbled opportunities because we tried to do too much, essentially. Wow. We try to give people everything that we know rather than what they could understand. Hmm. And so there's just so many thoughts I had on this. And it kind of created a, a huge question online, a dialogue online about this idea of restraint, particularly black Christian restraint. Yeah. And what does it look like for black Christians and artists and creatives and pastors and leaders, really anybody, to do what they do well, but the assumption is, and it's repeated again, 
the greater the audience, the more restraint you need. And that strikes me very uh, strange and that strikes me very um, questionable. And that also brings up a lot of different things about what we're often told in black Christian circles and as black Christians that we have to tailor and cater our message wow. to certain groups of people yes. and not just our message, but our style. Mm. So you're going to like this. You're uh, going to like this. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So what it brings to mind for me, this whole conversation also within the realm of music is the documentary 20 feet from stardom. Oh yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is a 2013 documentary. It's talking about backup singers, yes. many of whom were black, many of whom were sisters. And it's so good because they begin the documentary showing what backup music s- used to sound like before hmm. black folks started doing it. Yeah. And it was this very uniform, literally by the book, like they had the paper in front of them and were only doing the lines on the sheet, right? And then you have a couple pioneer black women backup singers who grew up singing in the church. Yeah, yeah. And they bring that to Motown. They bring that to um, not even just black artists. They're, they're, they're doing background singing for white artists, you know? Right, and right. It begin immediately sounds different, a flavor of soul, so and it catches good. on, and it's they so monetize good. it, and yeah. everything like that. But what was so innovative was they didn't restrain themselves; hmm. they brought their full selves. They, they, it was so funny because when black women get together, it is a—I mean, pull up a chair, right, right, right. at truth table, you know. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> seriously, so they were showing this group of. Um, Black women background singers who had done all the albums, been together, and it had been years and years and years since they got together. And they were talking about the white women background singers who used to be the standard. And they were talking about how tied they were to the page, which wasn't bad. I mean, they were good singers. But then they came in, they would go into the studio and say, we acted like we knew what was on the sheet or we cared about what was on the sheet. (laughs) But then we got in the studio and we just did our thing. Wow. And that's what was fire. Wow. That's so inspirational. I knew you would like that. Yeah. So I've heard about that documentary. I've never watched it. Oh, so man, that, you that love I need to it. vote that to it. the top of my Absolutely. list. I don't know how I missed that. I need to vote that to the top of my list. But yeah, man, I just have so many ideas, questions, thoughts, concerns. Because when I heard restraint, I think the initial striking thing was it feels like your definition of restraint is intrinsically cultural. So he talks about it being black and Pentecostal. Like people think I'm not black and Pentecostal. And I wouldn't say that. Like, I think he has a distinctly black style and expression and all that. But, you know, I think this is a universal problem because a lot of people, when they go into settings of people you're, and this was the quote that was used, assigned to, um, part of your assignment, which I'm coding, I guess, is white Christians. (laughs) And and people just feel like they have to present a different form of themselves or Uh, a different style of themselves or a different expression of themselves. And it was very um, striking because I feel like, you know, when you define restraint as intrinsically cultural, then now what is unique about your culture, you feel like you have to withhold or you feel like you have to hide um, in order, and this is the key, to be accepted. Mm. And in order to be appreciated and in order to be respected. And so have you ever felt like you were restraining yourself, Jabbar? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been in environments where I thought that was the thing to do. 
Everything, everything from the way I dress. Look, bro, you can look at some pictures from like 2014, 2015. Oh, we got them. <laughs> we kept the files. So... I, I mean, that was a form of restraint, right? Like, and then even just this hair. Yeah. We've talked about our hair journeys before yeah. and how that was a big part of it. No, it's funny. I, re- I remember I was at the Rand photo shoot <laughs> in 20, it, like the launch. I don't know how I, y'all invited, I don't know why y'all invited me. But we y'all knew what was going to be. <laughs> and it was a group of us and I was there and I just, I remember how we dressed, everything. Was this in Jackson? It was in Jackson. Yes, yeah. I know exactly what Remember you're talking about. How we dressed. I had a sweater we, vest yep, on. Yep, yeah, the sweater <laughs> vest on, the purple sweater vest, like all this stuff. And it's like, man, how dehumanizing is it to feel as though to be accepted, I need to change myself. That's now, the, there's that's this the tension, key. though, like there seems to be this thin line, though, between restraining yourself and then knowing your audience. Yeah. What do you, what do you, how do you parse through knowing your audience versus restraining yourself? So part of the question I have is, would we feel the same way with a different word choice? Okay. So what if you said knowing your audience instead of restraining yourself in this context? I wonder. Um, I wouldn't have felt a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's why you got the audience. Okay. Yeah. No, I get you. No, I got you. you. Know Say more about that. Yes. Because absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying that's it's necessarily like that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. But I'm saying is that would still raise the question of, oh, I got a so much a part of creativity is knowing your audience and knowing what they can accept. If you if you had said the same things and incorporated, some people don't think I'm I'm black. Then I would say, oh, it's the same thing. Mm. Now, if you had changed the sentiment, which is often I feel like I have to contextualize what I'm saying so that audiences, the the distance between what I want them to understand and what I'm saying, I I have to shrink that distance, which is every great communicator, performer, you know, speaker. So do you think that shows up externally differently or is it more a question of motivation? That's a good question. I think it's both. Okay. I think number one, what's the motivation for being in these spaces? Wow. Yeah. Well, we've talked about that. Like, what's the what's the motivate? Why why are you there? You know. And what is? Can I ask this question? What is an assignment? Can I, mean, can I be Can I be honest? What, what so is, you don't like that language either. What's an assignment? What do you mean? You you assigned? What do you mean when you say you are assigned to a people? Don't you think it means like something like Jonah go preach to the Ninevites kind of a thing? You're assigned to that group of people. Sure, this but is, it just I'm strikes just saying me as, it strikes me as interesting when, when you're assigned to people who have more. <laughs> Why is the assignment always like I'm assigned to this group of people? What does what does that mean? Can someone explain this to me? Have because, we heard and, that language in the context of being assigned to Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. And that's what my question is because I'm trying to figure out are we using God to get what is most comfortable? Are we using God to get what is most accessible? Are we using God to get advancement? And Christianese, one of the most dangerous things I'm learning is using vague Christian language. Mm. Like this vague Christianese which says, oh, my assignment won't allow. So people will literally say, my assignment won't allow me to call out this person. Wow. For I know that they're abusing people, but they my. He's assigned here. I'm assigned wow. here. I'm like, what? What do you? I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I don't understand it all the time, and I think sometimes I get it more than others 
But especially when you're talking about something as broad as music, how do you constrain the assignment for the people? How? how? Huh. What do you mean? And so I just want to interrogate why we use those that language. Well, it makes me think of multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural churches or any Christian institution or organization that's trying to be that because the refrain is often in these quote-unquote diverse environments, everybody gives up something. Hang on. This is, this is actually <laughs> something. So this is actually something I feel like I've, I've touched on. I've hit why it's a problem for me. It's because assignment implies certainty. Hmm. And it implies that you know for certain God has called you to literally restrain and constrain your message down to a people, a specific group. When you don't admit that's a choice. Hmm. So I have a problem when you say you're a son, like you're putting it on God. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. definitive certainty. And God is like, you just chose that. Because then you avoid those questions about, well, why are we really here? And you avoid why did you make and that you choice? avoid self-interrogation. Yes. So yes. I, I'm not saying if you say a sign to me, be like, man, I said that to you three years ago. No, I'm not saying I judge you. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't always understand that because you're you're assuming certainty when it's, hey, to the best of my understanding. And to the best of what my gift is and my skill set is, I feel like I'm here. Holding it loosely. And I want to hold it. Yo, I'll tell you right now. I ain't say I'm assigned to black people and black Christians. That's my choice. You're making a conscious choice. (laughs) I'm making a conscious decision. I don't think I would be ineffective if I went into a different cultural environment. Yeah. I made that choice. Yeah. And I made that calculation based upon what I know of God and what I know of myself. Because when we baptize our choices- that's sort of as God's will, just see, you know, blanket. Then we don't have a choice. I have to be here, and oh, you know, it comes with all these perks and everything. But this is just where God assigned me, guys. And Sorry. then we moralize it. Yeah, don't break the assignment. And I'm saying, guys, what? It's your choice. Honestly, this is what keeps people in. <laughs> what you gonna keeps say? people in churches mm. you feel like you're assigned this this part of the stronghold right here is because people say well don't i'm i'm even stepping away i'm not saying i step away from this totally but even this whole idea of well i'm called to this place mm. well, i mean sure perhaps that's interesting or you might cho- you might have chosen this place because this based upon your understanding of everything all the facts and the opportunities you made a conscious choice. Best I can tell, this is where I'm supposed to be that's okay. right now. Yeah, and that's fine. But stand on that choice. I think. I think. I, f- I feel the spirit of what you're getting at. Oh is, yeah, yeah. Is you know, a the spirit's always moving. So the the assignment, so called, can change all the time. So let's not hold on to it as if this is a forever thing. B, let's not use it. Let's not use this language of assignment or even calling to. Um, relieve ourselves of any sort of responsibility, responsibility. for our thing. choices, for our presence there. I think my issue is not as much with the language as with what's under the 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 of underlying course. understanding of if there is a true assignment, if there is a true calling, then that's to Jesus. Ah, uh, see. <laughs> First, foremost, yeah, beginning, yeah. middle, end, and last is our assignment is to okay, Jesus, that's helpful. That's helpful. which then dictates where we are, where we're placed. Now, I, I understand, like, when we're in this, we think this is Jesus leading us here. 
But I do think it's good practice to check ourselves and say, are we here because this is where Jesus wants me right now? Or am I here because of fear, because of comfort, because of privileges, all those kinds of things? Okay, let's take a break and we'll come back. We got to get the special with the hot chocolate. We'll be right back. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. Fried catfish and hot chocolate. <laughs> With mm. yams and greens. Mm. The audacity, Dipped man. Dipped it in it. Most Def fell out of my top five for that. Okay. <laughs> Listen, we back. But most Def fell out of my top five. Now that I've been... He got a catfish with hot chocolate. I wouldn't have allowed them to write what that. What if he dipped the catfish in the hot chocolate? Oh, like, he, he just liked that five. flavor Where profile. was your restraint? Are you assigned to this, most? No, I think I think you're bringing up a great point. Like, I yes... And that's even a, on a more fundamental level, what is perhaps the bigger rub, which is, are we, are we assigned, first of all, to, the, to Jesus? And so this is what leads me into asking these questions about, you know, our brother's idea of restraint and what is required, mm, you know? So, so why do we feel like it is required for us to do this? Why do we feel like that is the case? And sometimes we can spiritualize, and this was him giving advice to mass people. Mm. Sometimes we can spiritualize a vague understanding of something and say, hey, I made a conscious decision to choose this lane, this audience, this style, this approach. And to the best of my ability, I feel like this is what God is leading me into. Yeah. But what I also know is that my experience isn't everyone's experience. Yeah. And so the problem that I had is when you as a black Christian man start to promote a normalize and normalize an experience for mm-hmm, other people mm-hmm. and then give them advice based upon something that they might not even... Yeah, it can become prescriptive. We can. Right? Yeah. And this is what we've labored to make clear with Leave Loud or leaving any environment. We're not. We're saying this is our experience. This mm-hmm. is our perspective. Best we can tell. We're not you prescribing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this for if, if these things hit, you should leave. You know. So um, I get that. I get that. And 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 it. So we learned a lot from our sister Corey Edwards and yes. the elusive dream and things like that. Where particularly in multiracial environments where black people, well, they, sometimes they can even be in the majority depending on the larger context. But typically in those environments, it feels like black people are are, are restricting themselves more right. than white people in, in that right. setting. Why is the language always restraint in this particular context for this specific group of people? Right, right. And number one, I think we should challenge, even before all this, we should challenge the premise of the statement. The greater the audience, the more restraint is required. Actually, I don't know if I don't think that's true. Hmm. I don't think that's true. I think as something all great art is very specific. Yeah. Like all great, I mean, phenomenal 
music is extremely specific. And, yes. and we have to actually yes. say, I think, you know, Bo, Bo and I were talking about this, you know, I think it was Chadwick Boseman who said, the more universal something is, the more specific it is. Mm. Like it's specific. Like yes, yes. <laughs> like 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 pass the mic. It's it's specific. <laughs> like it's clear. Oh, it's for everybody. No, no, it's not. not you really have a though. specific audience and stand on that audience. And even when we use that language, it's for everybody because of our sociocultural context. It means it's it's palatable to white people. Ex- exactly. If it's for everybody, it yes, defaults to yes, whatever's yes. normal, accepted, popularized. In we predominantly are not white for culture. everybody. We are no. not for everybody. Even me making that statement is going to be hair on fire for somebody. We are not for everybody. And it's not no. that podcast, you know? So are, I, I have never thought that anything I, I have done is for everybody. Never. When we, it, it, It's basic marketing, even. Right. When you write a book, when you do a podcast specific or start audience. something specific. But there's universality in the specificity, which is what we've always found. Absolutely. Because we're the witness, a black Christian collective. We're past the mic, centering black Christians. And yet, there's a lot of people, when we did Leave Loud, even that was for black Christians specifically. And yet, there are so many people who found resonances. So don't be afraid to be specific. It's in that uniqueness that you have your distinctiveness. But it's also in that uniqueness and distinctiveness that others can can see reflections of their own experience yes and so what happens when we tamp that down or when we restrict that one of the things i think is important is you know what are the mechanics of restraint Ooh, that's good what are the mechanics of restraining ourselves in these environments and i think i want to distill this down because i think it's very important for people to understand and to hear is that a lot of times there's a a a double-edged sword to this idea of restraint because we're called to restrain parts of ourselves only up until the point that it becomes offensive or problematic for a bigger audience. But we're called to be as ourselves, as would make the organization look good, better, or more diverse. Mm. So that's what's really striking me is you are very individual and yourself in the way that you dress. You are very individual and yourself in the way that you speak. But then when you grab the mic and, t- and sing, now you're saying, I need to restrain and restrict what was appealing to people before, which is my cultural expression, which is my embodiment. So you would look at how he dresses and you wouldn't think that's not black. Mm-hmm. But then when I get the mic, in the thing that they want me to do, now I need to change myself and no longer. So I'm saying, why is it for one thing and not for the other? Why so, is it yeah. Why is it not in how you carry yourself, but it is in how you sing? And what's the connection to- When you have an audience, yeah. What's the connection to the audience and the money and the seats and yeah. all this? And, and here's why I bring this up, being very frank. I have conversations with black communicators and preachers all the time who are in limbo about how they are supposed to communicate to a majority white audience. And they're in this space where they're like, I have no idea how to do this. Because, and I always tell them, do what you do. (laughs) Whatever you do, do it. And if they can't take what, like they're literally breaking 
themselves and smushing mm. themselves into mm. a box. Mm. And I'm like, just do you. Yeah. If something, I always give people the opportunity, man. Hey, if 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 your pastors or your leaders desire to have you, and we take that on good faith, they desire to have all of you. Not parts of you. Yes. Not the palatable you. you, but all of you. And so if that's the case, go. And then if they feel like something doesn't apply or doesn't connect, y'all can have that conversation then. But I think sometimes we're holding back. That's right. That's assuming right. Assuming that that people won't accept something. It's like, actually, they probably would accept it. They, and they, they might be challenged. Yeah. And they might learn something. Yeah. But you're trying to make a calculation on what's going to work in a setting. So I think- um, Is it just making sense? It's making a ton of sense. It's leading to a lot of other thoughts. Number one, there's some mechanics of this thing that can help, right? Literally 15 seconds of preface can prep. So so a lot of times I'll go speak and it's an almost all white audience. Yeah. And I'll be like, you know, in the black church tradition, there is a dialogue. I need some help up here. Mm-hmm. You know, we make a little joke right now. But I- Every single time it frees somebody, usually a group of people, to actually say amen or clap or respond in the midst of the moment. And all I did was prep them for that. Exactly. So you can still bring your full self knowing and being respectful of the fact that this isn't their norm, but just give them a heads up. Like, this is going to be different than you're used to. Right. So I, I, by doing this, I explain part of my story. And part of my style. So I say I'm a second generation black Pentecostal preacher <laughs> from the South. Which says a whole lot right I'm there. I'm a second generation black Pentecostal preacher from the South. And I'm happy to be here today in, in, in my full self. So I hope you you can meet me there. You know? So That's when beautiful. I say, yes. but what I say is, you know, sometimes I, I'll be like, hey, I'm a second generation black Pentecostal preacher uh, from the South. We talk fast and loud. <laughs> so you got to meet me there. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I've told audiences that. Like you, and they're like, ha, ha, ha. And yeah. then you do it. And then well, I mean, you. I'm here. They try to. Yeah. But even if you don't, like, no, that's giving you a, that's knowing your audience and that's, that's giving right. you an on-ramp right. into my experience. I want to invite you in. Right. If I'm speaking in front of you, I shouldn't speak past you. I should speak to you. And let me invite you in with, with me. Right. But I'm going to be me. This is something I learned, interestingly enough, as a teacher, because I was assigned, <laughs> literally assigned by the organization to the Delta. I'm from... No, but that's a real assignment. It's got certainty. It's not a guess. You're not assigning yourself. So um, I'm coming from the Chicago area. I would assign myself to Hawaii. Or you know? well, look, hey, I put, I, I put some places on there. But I, <laughs> See? I put the Delta on there too. Um, and so that's where I got assigned. And it's a culture shock for me, right? And I spent a good year, year and a half trying to fit into the way I thought my students and their families needed me to talk, communicate, act, whatever. But since it wasn't me, it never worked. When I finally came to slowly realize, well, number one, I I, I can't fake it. I can't be anything other than who I am. Number two, that's actually an opportunity for the folks around me to see something different. Yes. And that's why we're here. Right. So I think even how we we talk about our own gifts and our own talents. I know what I do well. And I know that when I'm speaking, there are things I do well, there are things I don't do well. So I never try to do the things I don't do well in these settings mm. in terms of style. Yeah, okay. 
like I just recently preached at a, a black um, Baptist church for their seven sayings. And I did not try to hoop. Okay. Because I don't hoop. Yep. So I'm not going to come in and try to morph myself to the environment, but I'm also not going to restrain, restrain what I do well. I tell stories, I have metaphors, I have cadence, and I make connections. It's what I do. So I'm going to do those things well in that environment, and I'm going to lean into those things no matter where I am. That's right. Could be in front of black folks, could be in front of uh, white brothers and sisters, could be in front of multi-ethnic church. I'm going to do what I do well regardless of. So, so you don't dictate and determine what I do. That's that's what I'm getting is no, the environment does not dictate and determine what I do. The environment just helps me to contextualize what I do well in whatever setting I'm in. But that is not about my personhood or my style. My personhood, my style is my person and my style. I'm not changing that. That is who I am. I'm not going to restrain it. I'm not going to restrain it. I'm going to be my full self. Yes. But I, I recognize, and this is where if you're saying knowing your audience then- I'm going to invite people into that. Into that. Into that. Yes. I'm not going into to something welcome artificial. you into. I'm not going to welcome you to something I'm not standing in and embodying. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. welcome you into something that I am. You're going to invite <laughs> them into authenticity, not artificiality. Exactly. Yes. So I have a, a sort of different example, not in terms of race, but in terms of sort of discipline. So I spoke at a, a history conference. Mm-hmm. And what I bring typically is vulnerability and clarity. Right. And this was an academic conference. You know, you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be stuffy and formal and read from a paper and all of these things. I'm like, I don't do that on a regular basis. I don't do it. But there was a wrestling though, because I know why people feel the urge to restrain because you want the acceptance and the approval of this group of people, either who you respect or who can build your platform, whatever it might be. But ultimately, I came and I did what I did as authentically as I tried to do it. And it was just me. And that was the impactful part. Yes, yes. That was the part that they didn't see. It was precisely because it wasn't typical right. that it actually hit different and, and deeper in a way. And so when we restrain that, we actually, in some ways, deprive our listeners yeah. Yeah. of an experience or an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, the other thing I think about with restraint is what kind of environments are we moving toward and into that won't, where we feel like we can't or shouldn't be our full selves. Mm. We were talking in another episode about healthy churches, right? Yeah. Really healthy environments in general are the ones that allow you to be fully who you are Yes, and to be in process. Yes. Because none of us are fully, fully who we are. We're all in process. We're yeah. all becoming. And the healthiest environments are the ones where you can bring fully who you are right now and they'll help usher you into who you are becoming. Yes. But we're so often, especially as black people, put in positions where not only can we do we feel like we can't be who fully who we are, but we need to restrain it, which by the way, that word is interesting. Oh, don't even get me started on the the imagery. Because it implies, if it's in the realm of race, something about our personhood or culture that is wild yep. or savage that needs to be caged mm-hmm. or chained up or put on a rope yeah. to restrain it. 
when in reality, that is something, that is a trope or an image that white supremacy puts on us. Yes. That says there's something bad, negative, wild, savage, uncivilized about our blackness. Mm Mm-hmm. And we need to completely reimagine that. That's good. As part of being made in the image of God. Yes. And part of our full selves. Yes. All of you. All of us. So it's a move. I think all of what we're talking about, in some sense, can be construed as a move toward integration rather than disintegration. Yes, yes. A move toward wholeness rather than fragmentation. And that's very important. I'm glad you mentioned that because the disintegration piece is something that I think is most frustrating because what you're doing is you think you're doing people a service and you're harming them and you. Yeah, yeah. Because you're trying to separate soul and body and gift and style and you're trying to separate all these things rather than just showing up as who you are in whatever setting you're in and not making a conscious choice that I'm going to decide what they need. Right. Well, they asked me. Mm. And if you ask me, you get me. Yes. yes. And you get what God has placed on the inside of me. And that's all I got. Yeah. So, sure, I mean, I, you know, we may tweak some things here and there and some things may work and some things may not. I don't know. But I'm still going to be me. And I'm not going to determine it based upon solely what works. And this is the trick. What works to keep me in that environment? Ooh. To keep because, see, that I'm on the stage. So unless somebody comes up and takes a mic out of my hands, you got me for 40 minutes. (laughs) You know, you got me for 35 minutes. I am who I am. So unless you rip the mic out of my hands, unless you come up and cut it off, unless you do that. Okay, well, I guess you could if you wanted to. But I mean, you got I'm here already. So I'm not going to try to prove something when I'm already on the stage. Uh, Right. Like, why am I trying to prove to you that I deserve to be on the stage while I'm on it? That's right. That's right. I'm not going to do that. But. I think sometimes we're like, how do we keep this place? And and that's a critical point because many of the times if I'm a guest speaker somewhere, the host will intentionally say, oh, we want you to just be you, right? We want you to bring your full self. Yeah. And I believe they mean it in that moment. But to stay in that setting, to keep your invitation or your place in that setting, then you're talking about restraint a lot of times yeah right because it's good for one one time a one-off it's it's novel but for you to bring it but here's the other point we can't just tell people about freedom we have to be free yeah (laughs) yeah of course we have to live freely yes and so this is where it comes in when people see us bring our full black selves into any environment Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, there's somebody watching who says, oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Or that's possible. Yep. Whereas if we don't, they think, well, they're restraining just like I am. And there's no other real way to maneuver this. And what works for me stylistically won't work for you stylistically. It's fine. But That's like right. so so it's not like style has to be copy and pasted. Not at all. But it's it's about confidence. Yeah. And it's about embracing who you are. So any any setting I step onto, you get me. I may be for you, I may not be for you. I may be your cup of tea, I may not be your cup of tea. But But, but you're going to get an authentic God presentation of who you are. That I have intentionally said, All right, don't do this. Don't do it. Don't say nothing. 
Don't don't get excited. Well, don't shout. Don't sweat. Don't jump. You always say, <laughs> "It's not everything is for everybody." It's not, and not. that's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Now, if if you think that, you know, and again, I would question this premise of, oh, the, well, the greater the audience, the more restrained. I think there are, there are tremendous examples of people who have not restrained themselves and have tremendous audiences. So I, you know, I don't know if that's sure. the case. And I, I look back at the history of gospel music and I say, I don't think that they were didn't have as big an audience as you or anybody else had because they res- they didn't restrain themselves. Right. You, know, right. I, you right. know, it's kind of a problematic um, step to get there. But what I would say is, man, uh, of course, we could play the game of, you know, I won't get certain opportunities or I won't. But the problem is when you're focused on the opportunity. Ooh. That's the problem. The problem is when you make the calculation that I do what I do for opportunity. I don't do what I do for opportunity. I don't do what I do so people invite me to come speak. I don't do what I do because of I do what I do out of obedience. Mm. And I do what I do out of God placed something on the inside of me. And to the best of my understanding and knowledge and to the best of what I know about God and myself, this is how it's supposed to come out. And as I grow and develop, I'll tweak it. I'll get better. I'll get sharper. But this is who I am. And this is the style God gave me. And I want to obey the gift that God has given me. And so in obeying him, I obey what he placed on the inside of me. And I say, yeah, I embrace it. I say, it is what it is. And whatever opportunities come out of that obedience are the opportunities that come out of those, that obedience. There may be one. There may be a hundred. Yeah. Maybe five. Yeah. There may be a hundred. And then next year, there may be none. It happens. <laughs> but it, is it about the opportunity or is that about the obedience? Ooh. I don't want to fumble obedience. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'll fumble opportunity, but obedience? It's big. That's, that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to please my maker. And I'm trying to please my creator. And I'm trying to honor what the creator has placed on the inside of me. And that's it. Hey, hey y'all can keep the opportunities then. That's why I wanted it to shift is because if you if everything is connected to opportunity and if the diminishing of culture is connected to opportunity, maybe there's a problem with the opportunity. Mm, there it is. And maybe we step away from the opportunity and focus more on obedience. Because we almost never say this is the not the right opportunity. If it comes with more money, more platform, more whatever, obviously it's good. Obviously we should want it. Obviously we should go toward it. And then I'll have to do whatever I have to do to get that or keep that opportunity. When what you're reminding us is it's not all about the opportunity. It's about obedience. That's it. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.